Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi and welcome to Climate Consulting. In today's episode, I speak to Chris Gant, managing partner of Vunderman Thompson Consulting. Now as successful consulting careers go, Chris's has to be up there with the very best of them. Having spent 18 fast-paced years at KPMG, Chris decided he wanted to take some time out, and in 2004, he left to go back to school, taking a sabbatical from his consulting career to join the Sloan program at London Business School. It was his time at LBS, something that we talk a lot about in today's show, that led him then to go on and join EY as a senior partner in their Middle East and Africa business, somewhere that he then spent the best part of the next decade and something that we talk a lot about as Chris is the first guest that I've had on the show with extensive Middle Eastern experience and for anyone listening who's thinking of making that move there is a lot in today's episode for you. Now after a successful time with EY he retired but found there was only so many rounds of golf he could play. And it was that that led Chris to jump back in to consulting in a new and quite different role this time leading a startup consulting business for Vunderman Thompson. 
helping them launch and grow their consulting arm within the global brand that they are. In this one, we talk about a whole host of topics and go into detail on some of the things I've just mentioned, including why taking time out of the industry was one of the best career decisions that Chris has made. We talk a lot about consulting in the Middle East, what it's like to work there and his advice if you're thinking of making the move. And we talk about Chris's latest role and he shares his experiences of making that jump from a big four environment to a consultancy within a creative agency and everything he's learned along the way. If you have started 2023 thinking about your next career move, thinking about what you're going to do, whether you should take some time out, you should go and study, whether you want to move abroad, these are all things that we answer in today's interview. And I know that Chris's advice will be hugely valuable to you. So with the intro over, all that's left to say is please enjoy today's conversation with Chris Gant. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Nick. Delighted to be here today. Well, and, and thank you for making the trip on, on what is one of the last days of 2022 and coming all the way to Bath. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to lunch after. And I think we've got a lot to cover. And to maybe start there for those listening who, who may have not come across you before, it'd be great if you could give a background on your career and, and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm one of these people that has been in consulting since, I wouldn't say the origins, but uh, certainly early beginnings in the mid-1980s when I joined what was then Pete Mark Mitchell. Today is, is known as KPMG. So I got into consulting as a junior assistant analyst back in 1985 at KPMG, at Pete Marwick in, in, in London. And uh, really, you know, I, I went into consulting. Uh, I, I remember my interview, actually. I, I thought I'd be in consulting for a couple of years. I remember saying this in my interview, you know, so how long do you think you'll be here? And I said, well, probably two or three years, and then I'm going to go back to industry, which was kind of the norm then, right? And here I am, you know, 25 plus years later, still doing consulting. And I suppose for me, you know, it was one of those things that when I got into consulting, I found that I, I just loved, I just loved the industry. I loved the variety. I loved the people. I loved the variety, the, the different work that you do, the travel, the, you know, the variability of work, actually. And so I ended up staying with it. And uh, so I stayed with KPMG, uh, finally made partner in 1997, stayed then for another three or four years. And actually, that, that was where there was a bit of a first big change in my career, was that uh, you'll probably remember around, you know, the 2000s, where there was all the backdrop of what was happening with the big four, Enron and Arthur Anderson, Accenture. Well, at KPMG, we were part of that. And so uh, the consulting practice got sold to, to Atos. So I was one of those partners that was sold and we went to, uh, to Atos. Uh, I stayed for another year and a half, but for me, it was a bit of a change. It wasn't quite what I, I, I'd intended at that point. And that was where I took a sabbatical went to London Business School for a year, year and a half, which was fantastic, actually. I, I did so many things at London Business School. I'm sure we'll revisit that during the conversation. After that, came out of it, a couple of stints at Systems Integrators. Finally, after about six years, of three, three years at Capgemini, three years at uh, Logica, I got headhunted by EY to join as an advisory partner, which is like going back to the future. So I was with EY for just under 10 years as a partner, both working internationally and uh, also in, in, the, in the UK in the orbit in an international role. And then finally, where I am today, uh, I'm now with an agency, uh, Wunderman Thompson, part of the WPP group, which uh, is a real change for me from a big four uh, systems integration background. But uh, honestly, it's been phenomenal, but uh, really enjoying it so far. Fantastic, Chris. Well, there is a lot of ground for us to cover in there. Um, and, and after this, I know we've got lunch after, we, we should compare notes because funnily enough, I've had quite a few guests who that 
KPMG selling to Atos was the catalyst for the next stage of their career. And I suspect many of those are your contemporaries. We'll, we'll pick up on that, as I say, afterwards. But I, I wanted to start today, and you mentioned it there. It's funny you said you thought you'd been consulting for three years, and then 25 years later, here you are. You left KPMG, and that, that would feel like the obvious time to go back to industry. But you went and had your sabbatical. And I really want to ask about that, because it's, it's something that feels reasonably unusual in our industry. You can tell me whether that's true. But maybe we start there. What led you to take the sabbatical? And can you share for our listeners actually what that sabbatical was? Yeah, sure. So, well, the, the, the sabbatical, I, I took a year out and I went to London Business School. I joined the Sloan program, so which is an MSc for, uh, I guess, more seasoned, experienced professionals. So it's typically something you did around about the age of late 30s, early 40s, rather than typically. Most business schools, MBAs, they, they do they tend to be late 20s, really. So it was probably about 10 years later than most people would typically do that. You know, I, I took the decision because by that stage, I'd been in consulting for just under 20 years, of which seven or eight had been a partner. And for me, it just felt like a good time to take time out, to reflect, but to do it in a, an environment that was supportive, that that would, would kind of lead you to taking you through decisions that you wanted to take. And honestly, you know, it, that was the reason why, why I did it, you know, and, and you know, I chose London Business School. I thought it was probably one of the best schools to go to. I think that what I learned there, and this was, you know, I always think with your career, it's easy to discover things with hindsight, right? At the time, you know, you don't realize it, but I realized at KPMG that pretty well throughout my career there, I was deep but narrow in my skill set. I was always the person that would be involved in finance, financial systems work. I ended up doing a lot of work in the banking sector as well with some of the big you know, banking clients in, in the city. And I, I was always that person. And that, and that actually sustained me through from being a, a junior consultant, senior consultant, manager, director, and eventually partner. I mean, my business case was based on building these large you know, financial, financial systems projects. And I think, you know, when you make partner there in, in a big four, then they're not just looking for what you do today, but what you're going to do sustainably over a period of time. So I think my track record had suggested that that was what I was going to do because I'd done it for ten, you know, many years before. But when I got to London Business School, I kind of realized, wow, there's so many other things I could do. And uh, London Business School in particular was very, very good at the, the venture capital, entrepreneurial, private equity side of things, finance. Uh, it was very good at strategy, leadership. And I started to explore a lot of different options there. And I always remember one of the classes that I joined, one of the strategy classes, and a professor there, a great guy, I'll mention his name, Marcus Alexander. He was a former consultant at BCG. And I said to Marcus, you know, I want to do a, a, a large program you know, to finish the work here. I'd like to do it for one of the big banks. And um, can you help me? And something strategic. And he said, well, do you fancy going to work for Barclays? I thought, Barclays would be fantastic. And I kid you not, within uh, literally a week, I got introduced to then chief exec of Barclays in the UK and did a fantastic project on customer service, customer satisfaction, which was totally different to what I'd done in my KPMG days. And it was probably the sort of project that if I thought back to when I was at KPMG, would have killed for, you know, in terms of doing that. Because you had free access to, you know, the board and and uh, who were all very keen on customer service as as an issue, and that really gave me a change of direction. Really, because I suddenly realised that 
I could do other things. And, and and things that I hadn't been trained to do, but actually were things that you could explore if you've got an inquisitive mind that takes you in different directions. So uh, a little bit of a long-winded story there, Nick, but that was why I went to London Business School. It was time to reflect, time to take time out, and time to explore doing doing other things. I think it's a really a really great sort of story, and, and I love that point around actually the shift and being able to go from narrow but deep. It was at a very different stage in my career, but I, I remember having the same challenge when I was in, you know, in consulting of if you want to progress, but you also want to move industry, that, that can feel quite hard. And it, just because, again, I, know, I don't know a whole lot about the Sloan Fellowship. Um, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of reading ahead of this, but as, as someone who, you know, who was part of that course, I guess you mentioned you looked at some abroad, decided to stay in London. What was it that led to that course? Was it the fact it would let you have that freedom to decide, almost decide what to do next that led you to it? Or was there something else? And I guess I'm asking this for anyone who's listening, maybe thinking, well, why would I do that over a more traditional MBA or... I don't know, a PhD or something more traditionally academic, if you like? Yeah, no, good question. I, I think the Sloan program had a particular niche, I felt, that it was catered for me or people like me, you know, at my, at, at my stage of, of career. So, uh, and I said, you know, typically if you were late 20s, early 30s, you probably would have done MBA or, uh, you know, I think that London Business School, they did things like a a master in finance, things like that. So typically younger people. I think I think there was something about the Sloan program that was done by London Business School and MIT in the US that, that was just unique, I, I, I felt. And it was just what I was looking for. You know, I, I searched around and you, you know, you do your due diligence and that type of thing. But for me, it was just it just seemed to be exactly what I I, I needed. And I think I, I liked as well. I mean, there's a lot of it was it was hard work actually. And I remember because I hadn't been I hadn't done academic work for years, you know, and suddenly, you know, you're thrust into this course where they're absolutely bombarding you with all sorts of classes and casework. And, you know, I, I remember the first term was a real struggle to get through it, just through coping with the sheer volume of work. But once you'd got to that level, I suppose you'd reached cruising altitude on the course and you felt more comfortable in the environment that you're in and you started to know the resources that were, that were out there you could use. That was where it became more interesting for me personally, because there were so many things that you could explore outside of what you were, you know, you, outside just purely the course material. And I think this is what I was really looking for, was something that I could explore things, but in an environment that was supportive. I find things like this really interesting, because in some levels, someone might listen and think, well, it's obvious that you did it in the stage of career you are. But I think I suspect at any stage in your career, taking a step out of your career and both going back to school and partly you mentioned the study, the different approach, you know, you, you'd spent however much of your career advising banks, doing, you know, sort of strategy decks, suddenly you're doing essays, you're probably back in the library, like say, looking at cases. But also, I guess there's the element of, well, you, you are physically taking a year or two years. It's an 18 month program, wasn't it? Is that, yes. yes. So you're, you're taking, you know, let's say two years out of your career you're not earning for that time, presumably you're paying for the course. So there, there's sort of some fundamental principles that hold for any anyone within their career. And I guess I'd be really interested in the decision-making process you made. And if it was an easy decision for you, maybe answer this as the advice you give to others now in kind of taking that leap. Because for some people listening, that will feel like a huge leap. Yeah. 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 I, 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 it's a good question. I, I suppose I was lucky in a sense that at that point, you know, I, I, I had come from a background where I was a partner with KPMG for a number of years. 
So financially, you know, I, I was in a position where I could afford it. But there were some people who were at maybe different stages who decided to make the investment and, and they thought that was worthwhile. I think in an overall career, whilst shelling out, I don't know what it was for a course. I don't know if I can mention fees on this thing, this, this, but I think I seem to remember the course fees were about £40,000 or something for a year, and then you've got your living costs. But in the context of a career, although it seems a lot of money at that time, actually in the context of a career, it's actually not, not that much at all. And the platform it gives you as well, you know, I think it just trajects you to the next level in terms of what, what you can do. I think in terms of why I did it, it really was for me, you know, the, the, the financial thing wasn't such a big consideration at that point. But I just felt I needed to break. I, I needed to, to break out from what I was doing and just consider. I, I still felt career-wise, you know, I, I had another 20-odd years left in my career. And I wanted to do something purposeful with with that. And I just felt taking time out of London Business School would be a great way of of, of kickstarting the next stage in my uh, my career, and I think it, I, I think it was, and yeah, going to London Business School just jolted me to do different things. No, I, I think two great pieces in there, Chris. I, I love, and you're quite right. The kind of the fees, whatever they were and whatever they are now, you know, can when you look at the the sheer money, you look that's that can feel a lot, but actually, if you average that over a career, and, and particularly when you get to that sort of partner and that, and that senior level in the industry, you know that. It is a relative drop in the ocean to career length earnings. Like you say, you're going to be in a career for 40, 50. I mean, who knows what the pension age will be when my generation is finished. And actually, that there's a subtlety you, you've alluded to. I'm going to ask it more for clarification, but actually, it feels like that course was a pivotal moment in enabling you to make those next 20 years, I guess, exciting for you, but within that happy. Because I think, you know, there's so many people who I think can get trapped in an industry or a vertical, you mentioned you were financial transformation, financial, you know, that wasn't that narrow deep. Eventually you decide, I don't want to be narrow deep here. And actually that next 20 years can look quite bleak if you've got to do that. Whereas to your point, actually that reset, that stock take, let you go broader into different areas, which makes those next 20 years exciting, which I say, I, I've taken from what you've said, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's a great analogy. And look, don't get me wrong. There are some people that Stayed there, you know. I, I still look on LinkedIn and see some of my peers who are retiring, you know, after you know forty years at KPMG or something. And that's great, you know. I, I take my hat off to them. You know, they 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 obviously had a different you know perspective than I, than I did, you know. But I, I felt this was right for me at, at, at that time. So yeah, no, it, it 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 did make it more exciting. I think actually one other thing I would I would mention as well, it probably gave me gave me confidence as well to do other things. You know, I, I think too often when I was at KP, I, I was kind of in the box. You know, this is what Chris does. And, you know, if we have a big opportunity like this at a bank, Chris is the guy. And, of course, I came out and we did pretty well out of it. But it gave me confidence as well that I could do other things. And and I think that's something that's carried with me, you know, ever since. And I've, I've always liked – one of the things – I'm sure we'll get onto this actually later, but I, I've always liked trying new things. I've always liked doing things that are different – that are innovative, a little bit creative. And that's always been part of my makeup, actually, you know, trying, trying new things. And, and maybe that came about or was initiated through that period on the slide program. Who knows? Well, we, we will talk about those. And I, and I do think it's a really, yeah, a really key piece. And you mentioned it with the kind of friends and, you know, be that sort of personal friends, be that, you know, 
business acquaintances and, and people that you know in a business context, but it can be very easy in any industry or any firm. You know, we've talked about the differences and we'll talk about it more later, I'm sure, about sort of the differences between the consulting world and the creative world. And actually, if you spend your whole career in, in one type of world, you meet a lot of people, but there's a distribution, obviously, but they'll be within a certain worldview, et cetera. Whereas actually, university is a great leveler. You know, we all, anyone who's been to university knows that you, you're thrown in with loads of people. And, and it, it doesn't sound like the goal was to buy a network, but you, you are expanding your worldview, the people you know, the perspectives as well, which I guess is a really big addition to it too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I would say one thing that was, you know, I, I focus very much on the positive side and, and you know, it was all great and it was well worthwhile investment. And, and I think, I, you know, I genuinely believe that. Equally, there were some things that changed there that I struggled with when I came out. So if I, if I remember, you know, when I was at KPMG again, you know, I'd been there for quite a period of time and my career was well set out. So it was the next promotion, it was the next bonus, it was making partner, et cetera, et cetera. Coming out of London Business School, I didn't have that map. I suddenly had a lot of opportunities, but my radar of making decisions wasn't what it perhaps should be. And I looked at so many things, some of which I recognize now were probably blind alleys, but I went down those alleys and spend a lot of time and then probably wish I hadn't later. But so, you know, I ended up looking at entrepreneurial ventures. I started looking at obviously consulting. I, I looked at strategy firm. I looked at Capgemini. I looked at Big Four. I looked at joining a recruitment firm. I was like, they were keen to hire me for some reason, a recruitment firm. And I spent so much time on these different avenues that I thought at some point I thought, well, Chris, you know, you've got to do something. You can't keep looking for that kind of Nirvana, you know, that, that thing that is going to be really the thing that, you know, to just get on and do something. And, and I recognize that now, again, with hindsight, that going to London Business School and coming out of it, coming out of Sloan, uh, my decision-making radar wasn't what it was at KP, you know, where, where the plan was just so mapped out for you many years ahead. Suddenly, I had lots of options, but choosing the right option was the, 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 the key thing. And that's not always an easy thing to do. No, I, I think you're right. Cause it's, it's funny because, again, I, I left consulting much earlier than you did then. But I do think, and I know I struggled with that, the, the beauty of a consulting career path is it is not easy, but it is simple. You know, you know if, if you achieve certain things every two to three years, you'll have a promotion and you, know, you do well enough and you eventually become a partner and then you get more promotions. But coming out into a world which doesn't have such a linear career path creates, like you say, it's almost, it's the paradox of choice, isn't it? No, no absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that was just part of the journey I was going through. And again, I recognize the hindsight, but, um, and I still wonder now, did I make the right choice or whatever, but it, you make a choice and you move on. How did you decide just to, to close this bit off? What, what led you to say, no, right, I know where I'm going well, next. You know, I, I, I <laughs> it's a tough one, this, you know, because often with a career, you like to present a sort of you know, meteoric rise that goes up. I, I think basically I had a couple of offers. One was with a big consulting firm in the UK. Another one was with a big four accounting firm. And I remember sitting in my bedroom one night reading the contract and oh, God, I don't want to do this. You know, it's kind of ironic later on because I did go back to, to that. But but I, I think I almost ran out of time actually. You know, I realized, I, I realized I'd burnt best part of a year looking at all these different options. And I was talking to my wife and said, well, I, I just need to do something now. It might not be the perfection, but it's, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity and I'm going to do it. So uh, that, honestly, that was it. I, 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 I'm not sure I made the perfect decision, but I had so many options 
And I, I felt I had to choose something that I felt comfortable with that was going to take me forward and actually would leverage the stuff that I'd learned over the recent years at London Business School and, and, and even before that, actually. So, yeah, I, I can't say it was some great design what happened. Uh, I wish I could, but I can't. I know some people say that. But for me, it was a case of I burnt quite a few months looking at different options and just decided, look, think, just go with it. Go with what you think is the best one. And that's what I did. Well, I, I, you know, sometimes that lack of time is what you need to make a decision. And, and like you say, the good is good enough to figure out, you know, if we always search for perfect as consultants, as, as we as an archetype often do, you know, you, that paralysis of choice comes in. And I, I keen to move forward to, I guess, you, you know, you mentioned it wasn't the next step for you, but a couple of steps on and, and that's EY. And, and again, I, Another thing that I think you may well be the first, and I say this in sort of, forgive me if for any other guests listening, I, I've mis, misremembered, but I think you're my first guest who spent time out in the Middle East. So I've had guests who've been in Asia, guests who've been in America, but never actually a guest from the Middle East. So I'd love to talk a bit about your time working. Well, start where is best to start, but if we sort of take your, your journey with EY and, and maybe we kick off with sort of what, what led you out to Bahrain? How did you, how did you find yourself there? Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great story, actually. I, I think going back in my career at KPMG, I actually had worked in the Middle East when I was out there. So I'd worked in, in Qatar, I'd worked in Abu Dhabi, I'd worked in Dubai. So I spent quite a bit of time there. In fact, I always remember going back to when I joined um, KPMG. I was rather, you know, when I was applying to be a junior analyst or something, I rather naively said to one of the partners interviewing me, he said, well, how quickly am I going to be able to travel? And they said, well, they looked at me, smiled and said, well, about six months. And lo and behold, it was six months. So, so after six months, I went out my suitcases and lived in Qatar for the next year and a half, which was phenomenal at that, that time. And nothing like you just had the World Cup in Qatar. And I can assure you Qatar in 1986-87 was a very different place to what it is, is, is today. So when the opportunity came up later on, I was working with Logica at the time, running the financial services business for, for Logica. And an opportunity came up to join EY as a direct entry partner. And I thought, well, that could be quite interesting because I, I, I did kind of feel that my background, uh, I was in an SI firm, but actually doing consulting was where my heart was at. And so EY approached me, so we've got a great opportunity for you. Come out to the Middle East. We need somebody to run financial services technology for us. You'd be great, whatever. So I went through the whole process, and that's why I went out to the Middle East. You know, I, I think I was ready at that point as well because I, I'd had, after London Business School, I'd done another six years at SIs, and I, I just wanted something different. I, I was looking for something different, and I certainly wasn't afraid of going to the Middle East, having been there before, and, and I felt comfortable within that. So yeah, I, I went out there into Bahrain, and uh, yeah, that was a big next step in my career, but one that I felt I was ready for at that time. And, and also, probably one thing I would say is that going back to my KPMG days, when I made partner, it was a big thing. Now, making partner in, in any of these firms is a big thing, and I I remember today, you know, the where I was, where I took a phone call, where, you know, the senior partner comes on and said, Chris, you know, we're going to make you a partner. Congratulations. And, you know, you're, you're walking on air for, for a while. I always I remember that. But you're learning how to be a partner there. You know, you, you, you've always had in those sort of firms somebody above you who is a partner who's guiding you. So suddenly when you are a partner, you have to go through a whole new learning process of what that is. When I joined EY, I'd been a partner before and an exec in other places before. So I wasn't learning that. I knew what it was to be a partner. So that made me quite effective straight away because I didn't have to learn the ropes of 
what become a new partner was. But yeah, it was um, an interesting move. And I, I really enjoyed my time at EY in, in MENA. It was a great experience, actually. I would recommend it to anybody going out to that part of the world. Well, you've taken one of my questions just there. So I'll, I'll hold it and I will ask it shortly. And maybe to start with, because you mentioned, you know, that step up from, from director to partner is a big shift. You did that at KPMG. You just said that kind of move across. In some ways, you'd known what being a partner was like. And I was going to ask about the what the Middle Eastern business culture is like for anyone listening, thinking of going. But maybe I'll I'll ask a different question that will let you answer both. Of you had been an exec and a sort of partner in London-based firms, so UK largely, and and European West you know, Western world culture. And you were obviously going into lead a team and a, an area a division in MENA. What is that culture like? And was there at all a shift in going from senior leadership over here to senior leadership over there, where I imagine the cultures, the business practices, et cetera, are quite different. Yeah, it, it was a big shift, actually. And I, I would say that going back to my time when I was based in London, I actually did a lot of international work. So although London was my home and where my office was, I worked right across the world. So I did. I, I worked in the Netherlands. I worked in Switzerland, Germany, the US, some bits of work in Middle East as well, although not so much my late years at Cape Injury, to tell you the truth, or, or Logica or, C, or Capgemini. But um, I, I, so I, I was probably more of an internationalist anyway. You know, I wasn't somebody that just solely did work in London. I'd, I'd moved around quite a lot. I think culturally, yeah, it, it was a big shift. You know, I mean, the first thing that you probably recognize when you join a firm out there, I mean, if you're, if, if you're EY in London or whatever, you know, you're, you're one of many people that look like you, act like you, educated like you, whatever. You go out to the middle and suddenly you're in a totally different mix of cultural, ethnic, language, backgrounds where you're actually the minority, not the majority. And that's a big change, actually. But I actually found that um, getting on with you know people in, in, in that part of the world, and it was a real melting pot of different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicity. Uh, but I, I actually really enjoyed that. And um, you know, during my time there, it was something that, you know, I, I, how do I translate what I knew in the UK to there? I think often it's just being yourself and being relaxed. Equally, there are a few people that, you know, did go out there that it didn't work out for as well. And and that's probably something we could talk about because it's not for everybody. For me, it was brilliant. I, I was just, you know, in clover out there. You know, it, it, was, it was a great environment. It was a growing business. I suppose, you know, in terms of helping people listening to this, in terms of what is different out there, you know, so what is harder to, um, out there? I say there's a number of things that you have to be considerate about. I think certainly trying to be patient, trying to be, you know, understand people, try to to really understand the processes they go through. I, I did find that sometimes, you know, decision making out there was slower than I'd been used to. And the worst thing that you can do, either in business or in private life out there, is start to become frustrated. So I think patience, calmness, being considered, being genuine, these are the things that go down well in that uh, that part of the world. But I, I have to say, you know, there were a few people that we brought out and a couple I brought out who I thought were going to be great out there. They, they didn't for one reason after another. You know, I, I think often it was their other half that they came out with their partner or wife or something and that didn't work out for whatever reason. And it was that sort of lifestyle that you had. You really moved around a lot for different places. And for some people, that can be a challenge. As well, you know, if they're away from home a lot, and I think this is true in consulting in generally, not not just out in the, in Mina, but that was definitely a 
you know, the, the travel and the just moving around. I, I just love, love, love that. But um, even now, you know, I'm still in good contact with, you know, many, many people out there. Anyway, fond memories of the place. And it was a you know, great, great period for me. Fantastic. Well, and I think lots in there to, to explore. And maybe to start with, you mentioned how it worked for you. And I'm, I'm, I've made a note of that because I'm going to come back to it. But particularly like you were sort of teeing us up for people listening, you alluded to where for some colleagues, and, and this is not to name names, but more around traits, for it didn't work out. And the partner one, I think, is actually quite an interesting one. I don't think people always consider, like you say, if you're going with a spouse, and they, whether they are working or aren't, you, you both need to want to move. But almost with thinking about within that work context, what were some of the things that you found, I guess, either tripped up colleagues, made you want to send them back or, or just took people a long time to adapt to? You mentioned frustration and, and you know, decision making, but were there any others that you just think those really were the commonalities that people sometimes got wrong or needed to work on? Yeah, yeah, there were a few things. I, I think certainly, I mean, the partner side was a big part because often if you were coming out to the region, then what would happen to your other half? If he or she was working, what would happen then? How easily could they get another job or not, as the case may be? Equally, if your other half wasn't working, then what they were going to do all this time that you were away you know, doing wonderful things, traveling around the region, they were going to be stuck in Bahrain or Dubai. So so how were they going to build their network and how were they going to, you know, enjoy their life? And what I did find for some people is where they maybe had very set friends, you know, circles of friends, either in Guildford or Edinburgh or something like that, and and a strong family network as well, where, you know, I found these things often were dry and people missed that. People missed the fact they couldn't go around and, you know, mix with families, you know, meet family every month, or they couldn't go to some local friendships party, you know, every few months or every few weeks, you know, and, and I don't think it was necessarily the work. I think the work people adapted to, but I think it was the family side. So anybody going out there, I would say do consider that, you know, because maybe your other half will find it difficult and then it's all very problematic because you've given up your career and life in the UK, you've gone out there and you've got to go back. But, I, but the, you know, I, honestly, Nick, I would say it was only a handful of people that that happened to. Most people, you know, really adapted well to it. And and for for those people where their partners find, found another job, they, they found a job. You know, maybe it wasn't exactly what they wanted, but they found a job and that helped a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, over analyze it. But but for me, the big thing was always the other, your partner, wife or, or whatever, you know, your other half and how, how that was going to work out. And I think that's probably the main driver, whether it's going to work out or, or, or not. You know, you've got to be happy as a family. And, that, and that's really important. And. I guess another angle, and I'm conscious here in, in asking this question, I'm, I'm almost asking you to speak for an entire region as their tourist board. So I, I'll let you take this as you uh, as you can. But you, you mentioned, obviously, you, you worked across the region. And I think, to your point, the Middle East as a region has changed dramatically. I mean, even the last five years, you mentioned Qatar, the, the Dubai has, has changed a lot. All of these places have changed. And you know, firms like UI have offices in all of them. And so interest in this, if this isn't interesting, stop me. But if someone is thinking, oh, I want to go out to the Middle East, actually within that Middle Eastern culture, are there different 
traits or sort of different elements of those different those specific countries that someone might want to think about why go to Bahrain over Oman over the Emirates, for instance? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that's even changed a lot over the last five years. I mean, you know, we've just had the World Cup on TV in Qatar and people got a feel for what Qatar is 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 like. You know, I I, I think that the differences between the different countries have narrowed over 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 the years. So it's no longer such a big difference to go to live in Bahrain versus Qatar or Qatar, even even in Saudi, which is the biggest market. I mean, if you're going to work in the Gulf in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is the largest market. In fact, if you put Saudi Arabia and UAE together, I, I don't know what the latest figures are, but it's probably like 70, 80% of the market, right? So if you're going to work in the region, you'll probably end up working there. Qatar probably as well is, is would be the third one. So, you know, when I first went out there, you know, there was this big stigma about oh, I'm going to live in, in Saudi or Riyadh and, you know, the restrictive. I, I, I found that over time that has changed. I mean, even in my 10 years working in the region, you know, Saudi's changed you know, absolutely immensely. You wouldn't even recognize it from the country that I first went to back in 2012 to today. And I think that trajectory of change is just going onwards. You know, you've seen some of the big entertainment and tourism attractions that Saudi is, is, is building, some of the sporting events that now go on there. I mean, even 10 years ago, that didn't happen. It's happened recently. So I, I, I think that, you know, choice of where to go is maybe less of an issue, dare I say, today than it might have been as near as 10 years ago. For me, the big business commerce places are, are Saudi, if it's commerce and, and and industry, then probably Riyadh, Jeddah is is more of a traditional commerce type type place trading. You then got the northern region for oil and Aramco and energy. I, honestly, if anybody's considering it, I would just say go for it. You won't regret it. It's it's a great region to be in, a very vibrant region, a lot going on. I found as a consultant, you probably got thrown into situations that you would learn more. Than traditionally in the UK, you know, you'd be because you didn't have such a big Cape team, you'd be thrown into engagements or positions where you would learn quickly, and I, I really thrived on that actually, and I, I know a lot of people do. So um, yeah, if anybody's considering it, then you know, don't, you, know you might have a few doubts, but honestly, I, I'm sure you won't regret it. It would be a great, great experience, and the people that don't enjoy it out there are relatively few, in my experience. No, that I think a great uh, you know recommendation for, and particularly given the amount of time you spent out there, and you, you've actually answered my next question, Chris. So I won't ask it, but just sorry about that. <laughs> well, no, no, it's uh, I like it when people do my job for me. It makes it easy. You know, you'd, I was going to ask about actually, is there a distinction between those who are sort of progressing towards partner and those who are partners? And I think what you've just said is actually at all levels the exposure can be greater than in, say, a London, uh, you know, London where there's lots of people, you know, you might get a smaller role, whereas if you are one of a team of 10, you'll have a bigger role in a Middle Eastern project. There's no good place to ask this, but I realise I should have asked it earlier. So I'm going to ask you it because I, I will kick myself if I don't. You mentioned you spent a lot of time, you know, you've spent your career traveling, you've worked in all these different countries. In financial services, you can do that. You also can create a perfectly successful career in London and never have to leave the UK. And 
I just because I wanted to know what led you. Why were you so keen to have that international exposure? I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe look, I, I, it's a difficult question. I, I think from the very you know, going back to even to when I started work at Pete Marwick Mitchell in Puddle Dark all those years ago, I always wanted to travel. It was always something important to me. Maybe there's something in my background as well as a person that that comes out there. You know, I found out. Uh, later in life, more about my background. I, I was adopted and traveling. My parents were from the US and whatever. So, I, you know, I, I found, you know, maybe there's something in me that wants to travel. And, and, and you know, I, I would never knock anybody who, career in London, great clients, you know, it, honestly, that, that, that it, but it just wasn't for me. And I, and I wanted to travel around the world. And I did, you know, so, and certainly with EY, you know, I did a lot of traveling in the Middle East, but also to India to uh, Africa, different parts of Africa, actually, I worked in. Uh, the US was always part of the mix. So, you know, that's, that's I, I don't know. I, I can only say it's me. You know, I, I would never say one is better than the other. But for me, that was what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and so, so be it, really. I, I can't answer it any more honestly than that, really. I think that has answered the question I wanted to answer. And I think a perfectly good answer in that. And, and in a nice way, shows you can do that with a consulting career if you know that's what you want. And I guess last question on on sort of this chapter and, and that kind of international experience. And I'm almost I'm asking this probably for the people coming back from the middle you know, Middle East, but could be anywhere. Because you know you you were out there for for ten years, I think was it? Ten, ten, yeah, ten yeah, nine and a half. Yeah. Which is you know a substantial part of your career. You you had a huge network. You were working with like you meant you you mentioned like sort of Ramco, you know industries and companies that are very Middle Eastern centric. And I'd be interested that move back to the UK, everyone, not everyone, but most people do it at some point. I imagine there's a bit of trepidation because you've built and cultivated a a decade long network over there. You're coming back to a country where, you know, at best people will have got promoted, but may have, you know, passage of time, you haven't spoken to them for a decade. Some will have retired, some will have moved on, I guess. Actually, what was that like for you? And did you have any concerns sort of coming back to the UK? You know, will I have a network? Will I be able to go and meet people? Just interested how that was yeah, for you. Yeah, no, no look, it's a great question. And I, I do know people that when they've been out to that part of the world, any part, overseas for any period of time, readjusting to going back. It's almost like the opposite of what I said of people going out there in the first place. They've got to then readjust to going back. And that can be quite a big impact both on business and personal personal life. I was probably quite lucky in a way in that whilst I was based out in MENA, I got a new role in EY, which although I was still living in Bahrain for some of that time, it was actually covering the EMEA region. So I was going to the stage where I was thinking, well, I'm probably coming to the end of my time in EY. What am I going to do? You know, whatever. And I, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, Tom Velamer, actually a partner in EY in, in uh, Dubai, one morning, I think it was, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, well, well, we've got this great role in EMEA alliances. Uh, do you fancy coming and working with with me?" And I said, "Well, Tom, that'd be great. Actually, we've always gotten well together, and uh, uh, let's explore that." So we did. But what it meant was that my role kind of changed away from purely the you know the Middle East region to Europe, Middle East, India, and Africa. So, so that was a big change, actually. And so for me, it was more of a gentle reintroduction to the UK in this case, based on a new role that I had in EY. So, and actually, one thing I would say about the time at EY, and it was one of my fears of going out to 
the Middle East way back in 2012. You know, one of my worries was that when I went out there to Bahrain, it was going to be Chris Gant on his own, no support, doing whatever he could, but, you know, isolated basically. And I, and I fell with an EY, and I'm sure this is true in many of the, the big four and big, big, big consulting firms these days, but EY was, was very well networked. So if it was financial services, there was a global network. If it was technology, there was a global network. If it was financial management, there was a global network. So I, I found that it was quite easy to connect with other you know, areas of expertise outside of the region. And if the opportunity was interesting enough, big enough, and warranted support, you know, typically you would find people quite easily would, you know, would, would join you and want to work with, with, with you, you know. So, so that was quite interesting. So going back to your question about becoming reacquainted with the UK, I was already part of some of these networks. And so going back to the UK, you know, I was already part of a technology network or a financial services network. And, and so the people that you dealt with were the same as I'd been dealing with when I was based in the Middle East, actually, all the consulting network in general, you know, it was the same. So for me, I probably had it easier than some in that the role changed, even though I still stayed in MENA for about my first year before I moved back to the UK. I think the challenge for me, and I think most people, is more on the client side, because whilst EY was a global firm and you still had the same connections regardless of wherever you were, actually working with clients in the UK you hadn't worked with for a while could be more challenging. And, and, and actually, for me, that was more trying to rebuild the network rather than, you know, having a, a ready na- main network of clients that I could I could go to. Because as you, as you rightly say, Nick, you know, I'd, I'd been out of that market for, 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 for quite, quite some time. And that applies as well, not only to clients, but also your ecosystem, you know, headhunters, people who know you are looking around, you know, you've got to re- rebuild that. And that can be a challenge for many. So I wouldn't say it was necessarily easy. I think the transition role in EY helped me for sure. But yeah, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an easy thing. And I think the challenge was for me was more on the client side uh, rather than within EY. But again, you know, I, I think with, within a company like EY, you know, you're not out there pioneering on your own. You know, the firm has a, you know, network of clients and client teams. So actually joining up with those is not necessarily such a big challenge as it might be on a small firm. No, I, I think some really useful points there, Chris. And maybe I'll, I'll ask the advice you give to others, but feel free to bring your own story in because I'm sure this is a question you get a lot from colleagues coming back. Actually, you touched on their clients, you touched on their ecosystem. Almost, how do you advise people to do that to help them build that network, I guess, in a way that works for them, works for the people they're dealing with. And and I guess implicit within that is also recalibrate. You know, if you've been out, you mentioned decision-making, for instance, if you've been out in the Middle East working in a certain culture for 10 years, it can probably feel quite a shift to come back to London, which I'm being really, this is a real caricature, but it's a bit faster, a bit, you know, a bit more hard, hard edge. Like, what advice do you give, you know, if anyone's listening to this thinking, right, I'm coming back, what should they be doing to do that in a way that works for them and helps them get that grounding again? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I'm not sure there's a, you know, simple answer to that, actually. Uh, I can tell you what works for me. I'd like to share that. So I do think throughout your career, you always got to be thinking of reinventing yourself a bit. So whilst you were known for one thing in a certain place, actually, you now want to be known for something different in a different place, right? So I think always looking at reinventing yourself a little bit, which you can do in various ways, whether it's LinkedIn or how you position yourself in, 
you know, either, either speaking events or, or articles you write. So, and, and of course, you know, if I think back to my career, that's what I did when I was all in the business world. It was kind of reinventing myself to do something different. And so I was kind of conscious coming back to them that I had to reinvent myself from what I, I was. But you're quite right. You know, if you go to talk to people in the UK and you're talking about clients that are not in that region, then that can be, that can, you know, can, can be a credibility challenge, right? So, so I think you've got to, you know, look at always reinventing yourself and your profiling. I think also working hard on the networking. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way of doing it. You know, you just got to kind of keep working at that. I think tools like LinkedIn are great like that these days. You can connect with anybody anywhere instantly, right? Which is not something you'd have had 10, 15 years ago. But I think I hardly know anybody that's not on LinkedIn now. You know, everybody's on LinkedIn. So in fact, I find my, my current job, you know, the moment you're talking to somebody, a client, the first thing they will do is go on LinkedIn. And there you are. You can find everything you want about the person you're talking to instantly. So I think working on your your networking as well is is so important. I think how you're profiled on things like LinkedIn, how you can contribute with articles and news items and things like that. But honestly, I don't think there's an easy way of doing it. You know, I, I think you've just got to work at it, really. And over a period of time, it becomes easier because you become adapting to your new new, new situation. But um, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that a little bit. I, I can only say what I did myself, really. And I think it was a combination of hard work, reinventing myself a little bit and, and, and constant networking. Well, I think I think yeah, some good tenants there, and, and that reinvention, like you say, I, it's always been part of consulting. You'd think it just moves quicker now. You know, the what partners or what consulting firms worked on twenty years ago is different to ten, different to five, and like you say, it's then just applying those to yourself. And I think quite a nice segue, actually, Chris. You've teamed me up, so I'm going to jump on it. The reinvention um, takes us nicely to what you're doing now, and so maybe I'll let you start with, tell us the story of, yeah, the the role at Wonderman Thompson and how it came about. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I, I retired from EY uh, at the end of December 2021. So, uh, that, and, and that was no agenda around that. It was just you reach a certain point in your career and, that, and you, you, you retire and that's it. And I did think, well, what am I going to do now? Should I Shall I can play golf? Um, actually, one of the big things, I play chess. I should mention that, but I'm a reasonable chess player. So I thought, shall I go on the seniors chess tour or something? So we're talking very, not just play on your phone play, as in oh, play no, proper. No, I've, I've played since I was a very, no, since I was a schoolboy, actually. So through various levels and that type of thing. So I'm still um, in the chess. I, I actually got out of it for about 20 years when my career was taking off in the 90s. And then I, I got back into it around 2010 when I – actually, long story, but I was out down the RAC club at a chess circle and they got me back into it. So so I still play today. So um, I forgot I got onto chess. Actually, I have to bring that somewhere. Wow. I was, I was going into, going we were talking about your, your new role. I, I'm going to hold back asking about chess. I might ask you about chess at lunch, but yeah. you, were, you were talking about it was golf, it was chess, and then – Yeah, so I thought – well, honestly, Nick, I thought – this was like January time. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for this. You know, I, I, I've, I've still, I've, I still, I'm too young, at least at heart. I still feel I'm hungry enough to do things. You know, it's, I'm not without ambition still. So I thought, well, why don't I just put a few feelers out? I, I decided that I didn't want to work in a big four environment. That was, I didn't want to change. And, and actually, that was the right, the right thing for, for me at that, that point. I looked around. I, 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 you know, I it was one of the top strategy firms. I, I was joined one of, the, one of the top strategy firms because they were looking for somebody like me to help them build their technology business, which 
you know, it's, it's quite interesting what's happening in consulting these days. The the guys who are, you know, the, the strategy firms are all building things that to do, do with implementation. And the, and the people that are doing implementation are trying to do strategy and they'll probably all meet in the middle. But then I came across Vunderman Thompson and, and you know, it, it, it came out of the blue, really, you know, through LinkedIn. There's a, there's a, there's a connection. Are you interested in? I thought, well... Sounds you know, agency, a bit, bit of an alien world, you know. I thought I'd throw my hat into the ring and, and explored it. And I think one of the things I've really enjoyed throughout my career has always been building businesses. I've, I've, I've enjoyed the rounded sense of consulting. So doing sales, doing delivery, bringing new talent, nurturing talent, you know, the kind of operational side of it, making sure you're making money out of it, which at the end of the day is kind of things you need to do. And and here came an opportunity to build a, a consulting business within an agency, which for me was a very alien world, but I thought well, that's kind of quite interesting. I always quite liked creative and innovation. And, and at the end of the day, you know, creativity is the DNA in an agency. And I'll, I'll come to that later, later on, but, you know, a, a very different environment, different types of people. But ultimately, what we were trying to do, what we are trying to do is build a business transformation capability that would align with the rest of what the agency does, which, and it's surprising these days, actually, that in an agency, as I've now come to discover, you know, that it isn't all about advertising. You know, we do a lot of work around data, technology, e-commerce, and consulting. In fact, I think we make probably as much money, if not more money, out of data and technology than we do out of traditional advertising these days. So the agency model has changed as well. But where, where we, we feel we need a, a consulting, business consulting capability is something that kind of knit a lot of these capabilities together. So through a number of discussions, a very easy discussion, actually. I mean, sometimes I find when you go for, you know, interviews, which, my, which are what I was doing, you either fit or you don't. And often it's down to the person that you're you're speaking to. And it, it was a very easy fit. And I, I, I decided, yep, I'm going to do this. Of course, I, I, I had to think about how long am I going to do it for? And, and that's something that often that will come up at, this stage, you know, because clearly I'm not going to be doing this in 10 years' time. I'll say that. I, I, <laughs> we might have an interview we'll have in 10 two, years' time and I'll still be here doing it, but <laughs> that's not my, my, my intention anyway. But I still feel I could do something for the next three to five years and build something. And I thought, yeah, it could be really, really, really great. And that's how I ended up with Wunderman Thompson. Yeah. Fantastic! Well, well, a great story, and as I say, I'm going to I'm going to save the hobbies for for our lunch later. And and you mentioned there, and I, I'd be really interested. I know you've been in the roles about nine months now, just over nine months, just yeah. over nine months. So you, you've got you know you've got your proverbial feet under the table. You've got a good feel for the organisation, and I'd love to know how that transition's been. You mentioned you you love building businesses. That's the thing that really gets you out of bed and gets you excited. I guess in moving to Vunderman Thompson, you've moved firm size. So while Wonderman is is big. It's part of WP, which is even bigger. You are in a you know a startup in effect, and you are in a creative agency. So that's two quite big shifts. And, and forgive me, anyone from a, a big four environment listening, because you know they might argue with this, but I think that's quite a fundamental shift. And you've done that at a time in your career where you've spent most of your almost all your career in a big agency, a big um, consultancy. How has that shift been and how have you adapted? Yeah, it has been a major shift. I mean, for a number of different levels. Right? In fact, I I just pinged a note to Mark Reed, a global chief executive with WPP, a few days ago. And I said, look, you know, end of year, here's a few thoughts. Generally, some great things. You know, I, I think on the people side, people have been 
so open, welcoming, keen to learn what I've done, and likewise, you know, on, on my side. And and it's great, actually. You know, you did mention you know, kind of scale up startup, but actually doing that in an environment where we've already got great clients is is so much easier. You know, we we, we work with all the top clients that I used to work with at other places, and you know that means that we've already got entrees and conversations going on where it's easier to jump in. If we were going out there on our own as a pure startup without that, then that'd be, be much more, more difficult. Equally, there's a lot of new things. I mean, some of the language terminology is different. You know, we talk about brands, we talk about categories. I mean, when I was at EY, I, I don't remember talking about that very much at all, actually. But but here, it's the big thing, creativity. And, and when we say creativity, we really mean it. You know, I mean, I mean the heartbeat of the company is, is creativity. And the one thing that really people get really excited about there's there's a big advertising industry event at Cannes every year called Cannes Lions, and you know if you win an award at Cannes Lions, it's like winning Oscars for the advertising industry, and people you know really go all out for this type of thing. So recognizing the culture is different. That's very, that's very different to the big four, and that took me a little bit of time to understand marketing. You know, marketing it's like. Okay, when I was at EY, yeah, we did marketing, but this is all about marketing, communications, and customer, right? So, um, you know, you, you. But again, I've I've always been adaptable, and I've learned. I've been willing to learn and listen and whatever, and and that has been a key, key, key part of it as well. I think there's a lot of good things though that you can bring from a a big four environment or a big consulting firm right, to an agency. I think things like how big four approach solving problems and how they build implementation plans and transformation plans. That's something that we do, but I don't think as well as the big four do. And that's one of the reasons I'm there, is that we're trying to build and enhance that capability we have. Equally, we bring creativity to problem solving and bring things to life. And you know, I remember a client I was working with recently who you know, the, the, the chief executive approached to say, you know, we it was an industrial services company, but global company. And so we spent a lot of marketing, but I'm not really sure we're effective and could we improve? Could you help us just do an assessment of what we do today? But what we're really interested in is inspiration. You're one of the world's largest marketing communications companies. Show us what good looks like and show us what other companies are doing so we can learn from that. And we had this huge workshop with the board in, I think it was in Madrid, actually. And we, we ran this kind of workshop where they, where they are today in inspiration. And we got to the inspiration bit. And this was just so different to what I've done in the past. So we showed them examples of what other companies have done to project their brand or the image of what they wanted to be represented by. And it was, you know, in companies, software companies that had gone away from, we sell software to how that impacted people's lives and the imagery around that. And honestly, in this board presentation, you could have dropped a pin and heard it because people were just spellbound by this. And they, the unit, and, and this is what you can do with creative. You can play on the emotion and, the, and, the, and, 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 and just the innovation around it. And I love, I love that. So for me, I think whilst there's quite a few things we can still learn from you know, big four strategy consultants, et cetera, there's a lot of things that we do well as well. And where and I think where clients want to combine both the strategy consulting alongside delivery, particularly around marketing communications, that, that's where we excel. And then the whole delivery side around you know, advertising, content, productionization of that, e-commerce. 
Even things like customer experience. I mean, that's, again, a, a huge area where we bring innovation creativity to, often linked to things like digital and websites and things like that. So I think we're, I, I'm not saying that we do everything. You know, there are some things that clearly we don't do. Like you wouldn't come to us for a finance transformation job or probably a supply chain rationalizer. You wouldn't come for us for that. But if you're coming for us around marketing, communications, customer, that's where we excel. And uh, and so for me, yeah, it's been great. And it's, it's quite interesting, some of the people that join us as well. You know, I come from Big Four. And, and actually, I found the conversation with people coming from more traditional consulting backgrounds actually quite a conducive one. And, and what I found actually interviewing younger people, I said, well, you know, you've been at Big Four firm for five or six years. You're probably going to be a partner in five years. And, you know, why don't you just keep on that track? Oh, no, no, I... I, you know, I, I found that people don't look so long-term. I mean, the fact that you can be a partner in 10, 12 years is not typically on, on the horizon for many people. They want something more instant and now. And actually, what we do sounds really, really interesting. And, and being part of a startup as well, going back to one of my earlier comments around working in the Middle East, we can give people far more responsibility and challenges than you would ever get because we're, we're smaller and we're a startup. So you, you have to... Do your hands other things. Yeah, I was joking to somebody yesterday. You know, I was I was writing CVs for people to put into a proposal. I said, you know, when I was at EY, I used to be the boss of the boss of the person that used to write CVs, but now I'm doing it myself. And I think that's the mindset you have to bring to it. I mean, if you're the sort of person that actually you're a little bit standoffish from that, and that's all a bit too much, and actually that's something I used to do 25 years ago, I'm not doing it now. Well, forget it. You know, you're not you're not you're not going to enjoy that. You'll you'll, you'll last five minutes. You'll be out. But if you are up for that, and you're up for that change, and I, I, I love working with some of the, you know, we've got some great younger people as well. They come from a variety of backgrounds. Some of them come from a McKinsey or a BCG or Deloitte or whatever. And and they're, they're really lively, bright, bright people. They don't have experience, but but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build that experience as we go forward. So for me, it's a bit of a ramble, I guess, what I've just said there, but Nick, but I'm really, really enjoying it. I think I, I love the culture, the agency. I feel I fit in. I, I like the creativity pieces. I think people, like sometimes when I go to meetings with people, I, I go in, introduce myself, and people are very, very gracious. Oh, welcome here. Great to see you, Chris. But they're probably sitting there, what the hell does this guy do? You know, he used to be a senior partner at, at uh, Big Four, uh, but what does he really do? Because he doesn't do advertising. He doesn't do this. And and, and you, you kind of go through that learning experience. But but I have to say, so far, it's been great. And um, I, I feel at home in, in, in this culture. Even after a relatively short period of time, I feel at home in this culture. Amazing. Well, I think really, really positive and great to hear and lots for us to cover. We'll see how much we can cover on the interviews. Because I think your point around actually that intersection of marketing with technology, with data, and, and a lot of that comes into consulting. You, you said earlier, you know, the strat houses are, by, are building implementation, implementation is building strat. I think you're also seeing, you know, particularly the likes of Accenture, and, and I know some of, you know, the other big four are following, building buying up that creative or building that creative capacity. Because actually, with the world getting more complex, there is an intersection, but the kind of distinction is a lot less clear. You know, if you are trying to improve customer acquisition, you mentioned, uh, you know, your customer service piece right at the start. Do you do that through a slicker system? Do you do that through better marketing? Do you do that through a better experience? Where does experience stop marketing end, you know, or start? They, these are all questions I guess you're you're now trying to answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and by the way, you know, you're very much aware of Accenture, Accenture song. You know, I would never throughout my career, I would never underestimate Accenture. You know, a very slick company and you know, they have great capability, right? So I would never 
you know, underestimate Accenture. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of, well, it's quite, let me take it down a slightly different track, you know, who we compete against, right? Which is probably yeah. some line you've gone. I mean, it's, I, I was shocked, right? I, 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 when I was going through the interview, it, and I said, well, give me an example of some work that you've done. And how do we win that work? And who do we compete against? And uh, I, I won't mention the client's name, but, you know, it was a, it was a well-known, you know, manufacturing brand. And they wanted, you know, a piece of work done around customer satisfaction, loyalty, how they could develop, you know, their, their, their membership approach and, and, and so on. And they said, well, we, we beat this again. We, we won this against two or three strategy firms. And I said, well, how the hell did we do that? You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're a small startup. And they said, well, it's, it's quite interesting these days with strategy that, you know, there, there, is, there, there are some engagements where doing, you know, your formal report and having a beautifully packaged deliverable, putting it on the desk is what's required. But actually what, what we've found these days is that clients are looking for something more practical, something they can actually use, something that's tangible that they can experiment with. That's that's the buzzword at the moment is experimentation marketing, right? Everybody's doing experimentation. And and actually that fits with us because that's kind of what we do. You know, we're a young guerrilla team. You know, we come in and we come bring good ideas. We've got people from great backgrounds, but actually we bring that kind of energy and innovation and creativity. And we can actually, in, in this case, you know, we said, well, not only will we do a, a report showing you what the strategy should be, we will actually do some mock-ups of what the app will be, what it will look like, and we'll bring in people that can design the app and we'll do that as part of the engagement. And the clients loved, loved that because they they felt there was something tangible coming from it. So I, I was amazed, actually, that we compete against the top strategy firms, the Accentures, the big four. We very rarely com- – we sometimes compete against other agencies as, 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 as well. But um, I, I was shocked about this. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking for – you know, basically a small consulting team, you know, we would be struggling on that, but we don't, you know, we do that. And I suppose this is the point is that the clients we work with and the brand that we have as WPP and Vunderman Thompson are the big brands, you know, and, and that's, that, that's who we deal with. So, you know, our account teams, the work we already do, whether it's around content, advertising, e-commerce, data, whatever, it's all for these big big brands and uh and and so yeah you know we we, we can compete and i think that's that, that's amazing but I, I think you're right with saying you know i would never underestimate some of these players who are investing in creativity my question would be whether creativity is truly in their heart right i mean I'm not, that's, that's, that's the one you use in the pictures yeah, I'm, I'm assuming uh, that's how we try <laughs> win you know because we are we we are we are but uh so i would never underestimate any any formidable question that we come up against like Accenture. That takes me on to, so that point you just made there, because I know it's a, it's a little flipper, but it raises a really interesting question. And this might not have been something for you, but you talked about how, you know, for you, it's been a great approach. You've got in, you've met all these creative people. You also mentioned your team is, you know, let's, for simplicity, say a traditional consulting background. So, you know, you mentioned strategy houses, big four. I'd just love to, and this is sort of actually, have you had to, and if so, what have you had to do to kind of, I guess, get colleagues comfortable with you and your team? Because I imagine it's quite an alien concept. You know, I work in marketing as well. Creatives and consultants rarely 
come from the same perspective, you know, everything from the work they do to the fashion, you know, I feel very unfashionable around many of my colleagues, like my, my trouser legs are not rolled up, my sleeves fit me, you know, the, these are, these are things that again, I'm, I'm probably horrifying listeners, but that's quite a shift. What did you have to yeah, do to no, kind of win hearts and, that, and minds? I'm glad you brought up dress sense because that's one of the things I've been struggling with since day one. I, I, you know, whatever I wear, I'm, I'm never going to be dressed down enough for the environment that I'm in. And, and that, that has been, you know, going from my background, you know, a bit, bit of a struggle. I think, think, I think things have, have changed during COVID and the pandemic. I think things have generally become more relaxed in, in you know, in the, off, in the offices generally these days. But, uh, well, yeah, you know, just fitting in in that sort of style. I, 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 well, I was talking to one of my good friends um, who's also a marketing person, and, and she said, Chris, it's not about what you you wear. Uh, it's about your energy and joie, joie de vivre, you know, in terms of what you bring and your curiosity. And I think that's how you connect. You know, you're probably going to look very – there's some people that walk around and think, gosh, you know, I've never seen people like that at EY, you know. But that is the culture, you know, and, and and it's less about how you look and whatever. It's more about your curiosity, your energy, and your you know just sense of well being as, as as being being part of it. And I find that um, it's it's a very positive culture as well because of the very nature of what we do, it's a positive culture. So if you're not positive, you know, you 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 won't get on there. But um, but yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. The dress sense, I, I, I struggle with that every day, and uh, you know, always go through some agony before I go out. What, what t-shirt do I wear, or what jeans should I wear, and things like that. But uh, well, I, I think you're dressed very well. But I, thank I, you very much. I feel we're from the same mold, so I don't know if that's helpful for your colleagues. But I, I think to what you, you may have answered it there, Chris. But I, I'm interested to ask: Have there been times, or have you had to do anything, almost to dispel? myths or, or or almost prejudices against you because you know someone says right I mean, you're going to meet with chris he was a former big four senior partner you know there's a there's a lot of perception tied up in that actually and, and again i ask this for anyone thinking of making a similar move because i know of others who who have or are moving to start similar businesses in similar spaces actually what have you kind of consciously done or had to think about to make those people accept you yeah yeah that's a good question i, I think about that a lot as well, actually. And I think first thing is, I think you have to be quite humble in these situations. You know, if you go in there, I'm the big senior partner, you know, honestly, that, I think that's the worst thing you could you could do. So I'm the guy that's, you know, the um, sage, you know, experienced guys in the corner. People ask me for opinions and I give that and whatever. I've tried not to be controlling, you know, so I, 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 I you know, we've got a bright team people that were there before me and actually doing pretty well. So probably the last thing they need is somebody to come in and tell them how to do things differently. You know? So I try to adopt an approach that is, you know, I, I give my opinion, you know, and, and, and you know, we, 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 we're quite collaborative, actually, how we, we operate. It's not a command control thing. So uh, there's a group of us that more, the more senior people in the team we, um, you know, we, we we speak openly and have a very collaborative decision making making process. But but ultimately, you know, I I, I try and bring a bit of humility to it. I try and I regard myself as one of them, which is what I am. You know, I'm not above them or whatever. I'm one of them, and I think that kind of makes it makes it makes it fun. You know, I I I I think you've got to have that kind of sense of fun and and um, I, I mentioned a little bit of sense of humour to things at times, but. Honestly, I think that's just in your makeup. I, I can see some people that I've known throughout my career where it wouldn't 
the work what I'm doing now wouldn't work, right? And and I say that with all honesty. But for me, I, I've never had a problem with working with people at a different level, or whatever. And 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 this is the same. You know, I, I think I think that's great. And actually, I find we're quite you know, quite an open culture as well. You know, I, I don't feel you know we're a very hierarchical culture. You know, I, I think the culture in the agency is quite quite loose and quite flat. So. I quite enjoy that as well, yeah. But for me personally, try to summarize it's it's sense of fun, it's being humble, and it's being collaborative. If I give those three three words fitting in, no, I, I think it's a good point. And I, I mean, a lot of it comes back to what you said about the Middle East. Is you know, ultimately whether it's regions, whether it's organisations, if you go in with a positive approach and an open mind, you can you can usually find some common ground with with anyone. On the dress sense. After this, I will point you to some vintage shops. My colleagues say are good. Um, I've not been, but I hear they have good stuff that maybe you can take to blend in next year. And I guess my last question on, on this, Chris, I'm conscious we're kind of nearing we're nearing our lunch booking, which for us is really important, but does draw close to our interview. For this, you know, looking ahead to 2023, what, what is the plan for Vunderman Thompson Consulting? What, what is your ambition? And you know, if we were to do this again in a year, what, what are you hoping you'd be talking about? Well, you know, I, I, look, I, I'm, I'm actually, strange enough, Conversely, you know, at the moment it's all talk about recession and obviously, obviously the terrible war in Ukraine and energy crisis and strikes in the public sector, you know. So it's not a great background inflation, you know, it's not a great backdrop from a business perspective at the moment. But honestly, for us, we are doing really well. You know, we've got a good order book. We're trying to hire people as quickly as we can, albeit trying to find the right people for the size of the team is really, really important. But we're finding people. And so for me, I look very optimistically at next year, actually. I, th- I think we've got some, well, I think we've got a lot of unexplored potential. In our, and that's the great thing about a smaller team, you know, where you have all these clients in the agency that you could go after. But of course, we've got a limited capacity to serve all of them. So if we get bigger, well, it, it takes you to the conclusion that we could grow quickly as well. So I, I look really optimistically next year from our, our, our position. I think we've got some great people, great team. We need more. We need more people. We need to broaden our capabilities in, in some areas. You know, I think we need to broaden our um, customer CX team in the UK. I think we need to broaden our tech team in the UK. I think we need more people from strategy and big four consulting backgrounds to join us. But yeah, you know, honestly, I, I say that with complete candor. You know, I, I think next year, could be a great year for us and um, long may that continue. Amazing. We're really pleased to hear, Chris. So last, well, two questions really, and then I'll, I'll ask for your details for anyone who, who is thinking of moving jobs has been sold on what you've said. We'll, we'll save that for the end so they can get in touch. But the last two questions then, these are things I ask all of my guests, it's worth saying. The first one is about books and I'll, I'll let you take it if books aren't your thing, but what is the book or books that have either had the biggest impact on you or you've given to the most people and, and why? Gosh, books. I must admit, I'm not a big book person, actually. I tend to get my information other, other ways. But I'm going to link this back to chess. <laughs> so the book I would give most out is, and it's been in the news lately because of, unfortunately, cheating aspects in chess. But there was a brilliant book in the 1970s written by William Hartston, who's a former British champion. It's called How to Cheat at Chess. It's a humorous thing, but I always give that because it gives a connection to chess. People think, oh, it's a very highbrow, you know, intellectual game and whatever. But actually, there's a fun side to it as well. So if I get organized, it's not, you, you can't buy a copy now just by going on Amazon. You have to get 
it's out of publication, but uh, you can get copies. I try and give people copies on that, which um, usually raise a wry, a wry smile. But um, yeah, that's that probably my contribution. I think of the chess books throughout my career that I've, I've, I've written. But uh, business-wise, honestly, I get information in different ways, either through talking to people, reading articles, stuff like that. Um, I'm not a big reader of big business books, strangely enough. I don't know, perhaps I'm an exception on that, but I, I just don't. No, I, I'm increasingly finding you, you're not the exception. It's why I, I caveat, and at some point I might even change this question. I've had a number of guests who, so I, I do like to read, but I've had a number of guests who say, actually, Nick, I, varying degrees of I don't to I've never read a book. And, and you know, I've had everything from YouTubes to podcasts to, you know, like yourself, articles. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for a second bite in, in terms of, mate, and stop me if there isn't one, but is there a publication or something you go to that isn't books that you find valuable or really helps you? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I love the, in, in business anyway, I, I love the kind of Harvard Business Review you know, articles and top. I think that it's just good quality research. My next question, and, and really the last question for today, and this is one, a chance for you to give advice. And this could be a, a roundup, it could be something new, but you have three people in front of you. You've got one who's an analyst, or we use sort of EY KPMG parlance, an analyst graduate just coming in. You've got one who's a manager grade, let's say, and you've got one who is approaching partnership. So they'll be on that sort of partner track at a director level. And the question's quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a great question, or, or three great questions, actually, anyways. But uh, I, I mean, look, I think as a a, a, a rank and file consultant. What the best thing to do there is is learn. You know, you, you get thrown out and different and clients, different engagements. You'll get all sorts of training and development. You know, it's it's time of learning really. And and for me, that's what I did. You know, and I, I think that still holds true today. Just going through that process of learning your trade as a consultant, with all that entails. I, mean, I even remember when you know when I when I joined. KPMG all those years ago now. I still remember now the some of the training that I did at those days. Things like how to conduct interviews, how to do problem solving, how to write a report, how to give a presentation. I'm not saying I excel on all of those things, but but you know, I learned something from those. And I, I still even think of those things today. And that was all at that stage of, you know, your formative years as a consultant. There's so much you can learn about just being a consultant. I, I always remember one thing that was told me in one of those courses. They said, and I'm, I'm not sure whether this holds true today, actually. I think consulting is a bit more technical than it was then, back in 1985, 86. But they, they, one of the things that came to they always said, well, think of consulting as 80% about people skills and 20% technical. I'm not sure that is true today because I think there are some specializations that are more technical. I mean, certainly in technology consultant, you need a certain level of knowledge to be able to, you know, to be productive in that area. But I still think the people side and, and the softer skills are just so important. And, and and I think as a consultant coming up at that level, that's that's an important learning curve. I think when you mentioned getting to manager, I think some of these things probably apply today. I do think actually there's probably been a bit of grade inflation as, as, as well, you know, some of the things I see senior managers do these days, I used to do as a manager. So I think there's been a bit of a change that goes on, right? But I think when you get to that stage, one of the things that you start thinking about is consulting as a business. So instead of purely doing engagements and delivery, you're suddenly thinking about, well, writing proposals or um, doing some marketing or, or managing a team of people or managing a client relationship. So I think at that stage, it is 
moving away from being purely a delivery consultant to learning the the knowledge of how to of consulting as a business. And some people make that translation make make that jump, and some people don't. I find it's probably the first cut off people. Uh, cut off point for many people in that some people say, well, all I want to do is client work. All I want to do is deliver. All I want to be is the the best architect in this particular area of technology, right? And that's fine. There, there is a, there's a career path for those. But for the majority who are wanting to get on to the next stage, it's learning about the consulting business. And actually, for me, that was one of the most interesting parts suddenly that it wasn't just all about delivery but there was a whole bunch of things in consulting that you could do beyond that and i found that really really interesting i think and the final question was about becoming a partner and i think this is probably one of the most pivotal points in somebody's career I mean, even today i think it's so important for, for people and i mentioned earlier on you know where i was time and place when i got the the, the call and you know what i felt like after that and it opens up a whole new career path for, for people i mean you don't realize of course that when you make partners there's a whole hierarchy of partners after that and 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 you know there is no such thing as everybody being equal as a partner even though in theory that is true but i you know i, I think that stage you are so this is probably somebody at a director level probably been a director two couple of years or something like that typically you know you're going to be a partner some time out. It's not one of those things that, ah, oh, Nick, you know, next week you're going to be a partner. You, you know this probably from two to three years beforehand because there's a process of development centers, panels, interviews, business case that, you know, you'll you'll be primed for. So that anybody who's thinking they're going to be a partner, they're probably going through that process two or three years before. It's also a point, though, where you're probably your most valuable in the industry, because you know what it's like to be a consultant. You've proved yourself in terms of developing business and delivering work and all those things that I mentioned earlier on. So you're actually quite attractive as a as, a, as an employment proposition at that point. And I remember myself, well, I shouldn't say this, but you know, when I was going through the process at KPMG, you know, I got approached by other consulting firms or banks, and I, my head was turned because they were typically offering me quite a lot of money and whatever. But I decided to stay because I thought it was important to me to be a partner. And I thought if I could make it, then that would project me to other things. And I think that was probably right, actually. But it is a point where your head does get turned by other offers at that point. And actually, even once you've made partner, probably in the first couple of years, that's a point as well where people do do get their heads heads turned a little bit. But uh, my advice for people at that stage is stick with it. You know, you've worked hard to get to that position. One piece of advice I'm saying is, and I'm not sure I like this term, but it was like, keep your nose clean. And I think that the, what they were trying to say is, in your final year, don't go gung-ho, you know, try and, try and because at the end of the day, people don't want loose cannons to be partners. They want people that they know are going to deliver repeatable income over a number of years and sustain the business and so on. And so, yeah, your final year is quite important. You know, you, you're locked in at that stage. You know, you, 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 all you need to do is deliver on your clients or your revenue and things will follow typically. But some people, you know, think they need to super excel at that point. And often that's where people can get into to, 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 to trouble. Yeah, sorry, a bit of a long-winded uh, description there. But uh, those, those, those things are quite close to my heart because I've been through each of those journeys myself and I can relate to lessons that I've learned and 
other others other people as well that have been through that and uh, seen the good and 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 they're not so good well, I think some great advice there, Chris. And I think a lot of that advice and to your point, that journey and, and what you've learned, we've talked about today, which has been brilliant. And, and thank you for making the time. Thank you for taking the time and, and coming here on what is only a few days before Christmas because well, you may be much more organized than me, but I, I know I've got Christmas shopping left to do and, and you may well as well. So the last question for today, and this is really, I, I said we'd come back to it. For anyone who wants to find out more about yourself, about opportunities at Fundament Thompson, is, is interested to, to talk or hear more, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? I'm probably the easiest thing, Nick. Uh, and by the way, thanks for today. And I've really enjoyed the, the discussion. It's been a trip down memory lane in many ways for, for me. You don't do all that very often. But if people want to get in touch, my profile LinkedIn is, is there. It's got all my contact details. So yeah, feel free to ping me a, a message and uh, happy to connect with you. But uh, thanks very much indeed. Amazing. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And, and thank you, Chris. And, and I've really enjoyed it. So all I left to say is have a great Christmas and all the best for the new year. Very good. Thanks, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.